everyone. Welcome to the Craig Muster Show, a show by Craig Muster, an executive business and life coach. It's all about helping people unlock their greatness and inspiring them to rise up and live their fullest life. This podcast is all about championing, coaching, and transforming leaders, business people, entrepreneurs, thinkers, and creatives through the stories and experiences of today's frontline leaders in business, government, media, and the creative arts, apologetics, and Christianity. If this is your first time listening to our show, I want you to know that Craig has a tremendous passion to see people thrive while dismantling impossibilities. So subscribe and join our tribe. And hey, if you're wondering who I am, I'm Craig's co-host, Tanya Rodriguez. I am an amazing entrepreneur, advisor to my city's cultural arts commission and a vision strategist. Hey everyone, hope all is well in your world today. And here is Craig. How are you, Craig? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm excited about today and the topic today. I can't wait to get into it. Today's topic, we're talking about plunder, darkness. And actually it is 21 day devotional that Craig just finished. And I'm loving one of the quotes. I'm, of course, I get to be one of the first to read it. And I'm loving one of the quotes, just a little part of, of the devotional. Why does God love to offend our comfort zones? Shocking our normals is part of his normal throwing cold water in the face of our comfort. That's what it takes sometimes to wake us up to the reality that he wants to have a conversation with us, not with our facade, but with us. And we're going to get into plundering darkness today, but wow, I love when God wants to just wake us up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's sometimes in the most inconvenient times because most of the time, just like any of us, when we're actually sleeping, you know, I don't like to be messed with when I'm sleeping. And so very seldom are we brought back to life without some form of discomfort. It's just part of the journey. And I think we've learned that reality to be true over and over again. You used to think that there would just be this moment in time that I would no longer have these shocking moments that God would use something in my life to wake me up. But I'm 47 and they're still happening. And <laughs> it's it's become a way of life. You know, I have been I've been an executive coach for for 15 years, been in the people helping business for this is my 30th year being in the people helping business. Something that I love to do is to help people, help people wake up, help people find their community and help people find their purpose. And that's what led me into um, this line of work is doing that in my ability to read people well and, and then connect them to what I'm not just what I see inside of them, but most importantly, what they see inside themselves. And uh, what a privilege it is. I'm also a worship leader. I've been a senior pastor for several years, ministered all over Southern California as as well as the nations. I've been had the privilege of going to South Africa, Latin America, Australia, Europe. I mean, it's it's been a wild ride, and I love every moment of it. And I can genuinely say that, that I love every moment of it, not that I'm happy every moment of it, (laughs) but you learn through the years that it's not just about being happy. It's, it really is about embracing the entire pilgrimage of our lives, including the downsides, meaning the, the ebbs, not just the flows. But I think that's why the center of my life really is my family. It's not my mission per se. 
Matter of fact, years ago, I was, you know, thinking through this. What does it look like to live a life that's that is focused around covenant relationships? Because I found so many of us let go of relationships to grab a hold of a vision. The problem is we're trying to fill a void with the vision that is only meant to be filled through relationships. We have a better relationship with our mission statement sometimes than the people in our lives. And so my, my family is the most important. You know, wife, Carlette, my three kids, they are not just my most important thing in life in a mission statement, but they are the most important thing in my life in, in what I prioritize in my actions, what I prioritize in my lifestyle, the rhythms of my life. And through, so through, you know, through thick, through thin, through failure, through success, I am not a perfect husband or a perfect father by any means. Um, but that is what I pray for the most that God would give me the mercy and the grace to be fully present in the lives of the people that are closest to me. And that's plundering darkness. That is what plunder darkness is about. I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a void. There is an incredible void in the culture of today. And it's not relegated to the culture outside of what we would call mainstream Christianity. It, it is a part of culture everywhere. There is a massive black hole. Mm -hmm. And seeing that and seeing the effects of the void, seeing the effects of darkness that is misinterpreted or darkness that has become a nightmare. And when I'm, what I mean by that is Things that we cannot see clearly, things that have tormented us for years, shame, guilt, depression, failure, a sense of disconnection, I think is one of the biggest. Because I found that actually darkness isn't what scares people the most. What scares people the most is being in darkness alone. It's the feeling or the belief that I'm going to be in a black hole by myself, torn away from everybody that matters to me, torn away from everyone who cares for me, and I'm not going to know what to do. And for many people, that's actually their current experience. They feel in, they could be in a crowd of a thousand people and still feel isolated as if they're living in a black hole. And it is so critical for us in this season to understand how to not only survive the black hole, not only survive the darkness, but turn it to our favor, suck all the life out of it, and then begin to help other people step out of the places that have hindered them the most. Yeah, I, I like that. Survive the black hole and turn it to our favor. And I think this is this is what plunder darkness. This is as you know, I've been going through the devotional. This is what it's all about. And I've got to imagine that you've been through some things to be able to write this. Tell us a little bit more about that. Like what inspired you or what did you, you know, what made you grab a hold of this in this time? Yeah, you know, one of the challenges when we talk about dark times in our life is that we think that there's only going to be one dark time, one moment. Mm -hmm. If we get through that, everything changes. 
I found that to not be true. I found life to be cyclical. And there are, there are multiple times in our life where trauma hits us or something takes our breath away. But there have been definitely a couple critical moments in my life that, you know, not only took my breath away for a moment, but took my breath away for years. And one of those was 2010. I, I, all the only way I could describe it is it was the perfect storm. I was shocked by some broken relationships that I didn't see coming, some people very close to me. So relationally, there was a sense of, wait, I thought I could rely on this and, and I can't. And that, that really messes with our sense of comfort. Relationships are the most critical thing that we have in life. And when that gets shaken, there seems to be this domino effect that at the same time, financially, we got hit. And I remember somebody knocking on our door uh, and of a place we were renting. And I, and I opened the door and it's the new owner of the place I'm renting because the, the owner that we had been paying rent to had the house foreclosed on them and never told us. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> we like, yeah, you have a couple months to find a new place and move out. I said, well, how do I get my deposit back. How do I do this? How do I do that? He said, that, that's not my problem. Wow. And right after that, the church I was pastoring, the very next month, we got booted from the building that we were using. Great. And then my <laughs> health fails and I have to have surgery the very next month. This is all in succession in three months. And so my physical health, wow. I'm not able to do all the things that you're supposed to do as a man in a transition for your family. So I'm in panic mode. I'm in thinking, wait, I just lost the people that I was really relying on. Now, financially, we're hitting a major crisis personally. We're hitting a major crisis in our church financially at the same time. And then my physical body starts to fail. And that completely left me undone. So there's like, you got like this triple threat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. It was the perfect storm. Any place that I had put faith or mm. confidence in was gone. And then I was having a real challenging time hearing God in the midst of it. And so all the ideas I had in my head, you know, in my brain the visions that I had of what it meant to be a father and a husband, it felt like I was failing on all sides and life was failing me at the same time. This genuinely happened. It felt like life was happening to me and I was no longer powerful to happen to life. And that yeah. brought me to an incredibly low, low point that year to where I could not think straight. I had what I found out later would probably be called panic attacks. My whole body would go numb. I felt like I was going to pass mm. out all while I was pastoring at church. And so needless to say, it brought me to, it brought me to my knees. It really did. By the end of 2010, I was at my knees. What, what would you say? Like, how is that, you know, with God, like, is it, you know, at first is your, what's the first reaction, you know, is it push in or is it just, like uh, unbelief of all that's happening? Like what's, what's the initial like reaction to, to it all? Cause it kind of seemed to all hit at the same time. Yeah. You know, my, my inclination, just the way I'm built is I'm going to fight. So mm. 
I go in to push in, but push in harder than ever before. This is not going to overcome me. I'm going to, I'm going to find a way I'm going to beat it. It's actually one of the, one of the things that had to get undone in me in the process, which was completely contrary to what I would have thought because I had this chip on my shoulder that was me against the world already. I had this feeling that, you know what, I'm going to prove to the world that I could do this by myself and I don't need anybody. And if everyone falls, I'm still going to stand and do the right thing. And that was my reaction. So I went heavy into proving myself. The problem was in other seasons of my life, you'd go heavy into it. And that would take me into, you know, quote unquote, what other people would think is success and people would rely on me in hard times. This time there was no recovery. I would push harder and it got worse. And because it continually got worse, I remember on my way home one time, the finances had gotten so bad that I remember on my way home, I just pulled over on, uh, into a parking lot and just started weeping because I didn't have money to buy food for my family the next week mm. in the midst of all this. And the, it, it wasn't just a, again, it wasn't that that reality was hitting me. It was that I believed I was alone in that moment that I had not only had to prove myself to me, but I had to prove myself to God and everyone around me. And I was utterly failing at proving myself. And I took the longest break I'd taken in years from preaching on Sundays. I think it was three Sundays in a row. I didn't preach for me. It was seemed like months. And it was in that time, something started to reset inside of me. Initially, what a burden to have to want to shine and it, you know, push forward and fight And you're just, honestly, you're just at the beginning of a process with God. But I know that there are people who are in a process with God and they're at different levels today. That's why today I think, you know, you're going to open up in a second and talk about plunder darkness and you're going to walk us through a couple of days of that devotional. But really it's, you know, I know you're about to open your heart and walk this process with some people right now. So go for it. Just that heart process. That's what this is about. It is a 21 day day devotional, but it's actually your heart process with God and overcoming. So, yeah. And because of that, you know, this was in, in essence, 21 days that God took me hand by hand through things. And, and while it's condensed into 21 days, it was really several year period where Mm. these principles came to life And it's not just something that I've written in my head. It's something that I've not only experienced, but, you know, this is the reality. I still experience it. I'll read through the journal and and God will, God will continue to say, remember this, Craig, remember the principles, remember who I am. And I think, so, you know, so this, this first 21 day journal is, is taking through the life of the woman at the well, as well as Joseph, the dreamer. And one of the days talks about, just begins to open up. Jesus is at at the well with this woman, a Samaritan woman. There's obviously cultural differences because the Samaritan versus Jew. There's, you know, she's a woman, he's a man. There's all kinds of cultural differences here. And what stunned me as I read this again for the hundredth time, as if it was for the first time, was the the conversation actually opens up with Jesus, the Son of God, 
asking this woman for something. He says, could you give me something to drink? And I passed over that sentence many times to get into other principles within the story. But it's staggering to me to think that the one who had all the answers, the one that could meet every one of her needs, didn't start with what he had for her. He started the conversation by inviting her to give him something that he wanted. And what it would have been like for her to not only have the conversation start, but for him to actually start from that place, because Jews and Samaritans did not get along. And they, you know, Samaritans were treated as lesser. Jews treated them as, you, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not the real covenant. You're not even worth speaking to. Not only does Jesus talk to her, but he says, listen, I want something from you. What? an amazing way to begin a conversation. And, and it shocked her. And you can see in her response, she said, why are you even talking to me? You know, why are you even talking to me? And you're asking, this is crazy that you're even speaking to me. And that's really where my journey began is at my lowest point when I felt like I had nothing to give anyone, when I felt like I'd failed the world, I'd failed myself, I'd failed my family, I'd failed my wife, I'd failed my friends, I'd failed my church, I wasn't running my business anymore, and I had failed God. I had not held on the way that I thought I should. He said, Craig, you have something that I want. Would you give it to me? And my conversation with God at the beginning of this journey was not him telling me, what he was going to do for me. It was him inviting me into a conversation where I actually had something to give when I believed that I had nothing valid to give at all. And my heart started to melt at the request, Craig, would you just give me a moment of a conversation? Because I have a relationship with everyone here. I speak to millions of people every day, but I, I want to have a conversation with you. You actually have something that I want, and that is you. I want to have a conversation with you, not your facade. Something is undone inside of us. When we actually acknowledge that the king of all the universe has time for us, we're not a nuisance. And not only does he have time, but he desperately wants a conversation. And that's super powerful because God is meeting her at the point of great conflict. There's conflict all around her. Yep. She's she's conf- conflicted relationally, emotionally with God. She's in conflict. God meets her in that place. And, you know, he's speaking to her. He's not a distant God. His initial reaction is not looking at all the chaos. It's not that he's ignoring it, but he's looking at her. He's looking at her. And that's the whole story. Jesus was amazing at making other people's stories the theme of his story. He let other people take the stage. I mean, this is the son of God. You would have thought that he needed the platform. He needed the stage. He needed to be front and center. He didn't need that because he knew who he was to the father. He didn't need that. He was comfortable in ministering to people 
and them remaining center stage while he disappeared again. And this is one of those moments. And if you actually read through the whole story, of course, she ends up evangelizing her entire community. She becomes center stage to her community. Because of her, Jesus comes to her community. So now her whole community, she's elevated in stature because she's the reason that Jesus comes. And then the entire community ultimately gets saved. It's an incredible story. I, I, it still wrecks me just to think about the conversation. It's one of those, I wish I, I, wish I could be a fly on the wall for that conversation. It's still profound. Every, and every time I read through it, I, I get wrecked completely. One of the other days that we talk about is with Joseph. And this one's a little, again, challenging to me because I don't always understand why God does something. I think some people have a tendency to put so much pressure on humanity's responsibility towards God and other tribes or streams or cultures have a tendency to put a lot of the emphasis on God's responsibility to mankind. What I found is that it's the combination of the two, but by far the mercies of God are much greater than the will of man. But Joseph is taken into slavery found in Genesis. And when he's sold into slavery by his brothers, so here's a free person born free, He's the dreamer and he's the favored one. So he's always chosen and favored by his father. He's head and shoulders above his brothers. He has an expectation in life that he's going to be successful and it's going to happen around him. And he has the dream of God to prove it. God gave him dreams. Instead, he's sold into slavery, which is complete opposite direction. So for a moment, you have to picture the kind of shock that this would be to all of your senses, to go from the favored son to slavery in a moment and to have your brothers the cause of it. And then in slavery, there's this simple phrase and it says that God blessed Potiphar, which was the man who bought Joseph. It was Potiphar's slave owner. Or Potiphar was a slave owner of Joseph. So it was Joseph's slave owner. It says that God blessed Potiphar because of Joseph. That phrase struck me. Not because, and again, how many times I've read this story and I know the progression. So I know ultimately he becomes prime minister of Egypt. This is one of many different moments that actually lead him there. But at the time, Joseph's not thinking, hey, here's the path God has for me to take me into prominence. Joseph is a slave. He doesn't know what's next. And he's never had a master before. And now he has one for the first time who is a slave owner. So the person that bought him, that now rules over him, and God blesses that man because of Joseph? In, in my world, I'm thinking, what would that have felt like to be Joseph and have the one that's now just bought you, the slave owner, the one that owns you, is now being blessed because of you? And how easily it could have been. We don't know if Joseph dealt with bitterness because of this or not. Like, God, why are you blessing the man who's my slave master? This is ridiculous. Why are you blessing him? 
But what we do know is if he did have, if he did have any kind of bitterness, he worked through it because he continued to serve Potiphar in the midst of being a slave. And then you see the progression is that Potiphar ultimately puts him in charge of all that he has, meaning he finds favor with Potiphar and it positions Joseph in a new way and actually brings him closer Albeit the long story, you're going to have to read the journal and see the long story looks like it's going further away, but bringing him closer to ultimately becoming prime minister of Egypt. And the principle behind this is this. God will sometimes bring people into our life that feels like they're our enemy, and then he'll have the audacity to bless them right in front of us. Wow. And if we don't get bitter, if we can look and see what God is doing, we might see that he's actually blessing them for us, not against us, to deal with something inside of us, to draw us closer to him, to introduce us to another level of brokenness. This is part of the journey is not just mountain to mountain. It is valleys in between. And you can learn to relish the valleys and plunder the valleys just as much as you can learn to plunder the mountaintops. And that's what plunder darkness is all about. So I'm I'm also seeing a thread here and walk with me in this, Craig. I'm seeing this thread here of this young guy and the dreamer, the favored one, right? You know, perfect life. Everything's for him. I mean, his everything's good. You know, he wouldn't have thought he would be the one to to be taken into slavery. Someone else, maybe, yes. Someone else that was born in poverty and, you know, didn't, you know, have parents. Someone else, yes. But this story, we're talking about this one, the highly favored one. But I'm kind of seeing the thread, too, that regardless of where he was taken, and he was taken to the pit, right? And also has that with his brothers, just like the worst betrayal, but... I'm kind of seeing here where the thread is that regardless of where he traveled, he never lost his favor. He never lost his call or his purpose. It was always the same. His yes. situation and circumstance, but I'm kind of, you're, you're, you're telling the story and this is what's popping up for me. That's right. And that's one of the principles that we talk about. We think that if you have favor, it will automatically create an avenue or a road around adversity or it'll create an automatic succession of elevation and promotion in the natural and you'll see that's not true you can have a tremendous amount of favor and the favor might take you into prison Mm -hmm. and if you think that you don't have favor because you're in prison it's completely contrary to story after story in the scripture so people internalize their dilemma This is part of the problem. If I'm in prison, it must be because I did something wrong. Meaning if I'm in a dark place, it must be because I did something wrong. I searched everywhere for everything that I could have done wrong that brought me into a place of darkness in 2010. What I ultimately found was the biggest thing that I was doing wrong was searching for everything that I was doing wrong is if somehow my efforts could get me out of a place of darkness or somehow my own strength had kept me out of darkness for years. The perception was the most incorrect thing in my life. And it's true. You know, if we make some pretty crazy mistakes. We're going to live, we're going to sleep in the bed that we made. I'm not denouncing that. What I'm saying is 
when we internalize our problem and we think something's wrong with us, then we think we got to fix it before we can gain favor with God again or connection to God again. And now instead of actually connecting to him in the midst of prison, we try to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and get ourselves out of prison so that we're worthy enough to connect to love again. And that is a vicious cycle that never ends. And it's something that undid me to my core. It still knocks at the door. It tries to pry its way into my psyche all the time, and I have to brutally deal with it. I have to take that thing and say, no, you're not my master. It's okay for me to be at the mercy of God. That is the strongest place I could ever find. It's okay for me to be broken because then I'm poor in spirit. And in that place, I don't have to create a facade or project strength with a hope that people respect me. I can fully show up. To the people that I'm leading, look them in the eyes and say, look, I got brokenness and I am broken. You're broken. Let's do this. There's a ferocity that shows up, a ferociousness that shows up in the midst of brokenness where you find your strength there that cannot be bought by a political system. It cannot be bought by a religious system. You are owned by God. And in that place, there's a foundation you can live your life on but it's not connected to the ego. And so plundering darkness is about that. It is not saying, hey, we're going to hoorah our way into the darkness and and just have these amazing high emotional experiences. Sometimes plundering darkness looks like being willing to weep over loss Hmm. instead of pretending that it didn't happen. But instead of weeping by yourself, you're weeping with community, you're weeping with God so that there's a resolution to it. You're not camping in it. You're pushing through it. And on the other side of it, you end up with gold, not just for you. But I'm telling you, I have dedicated the rest of my life to seeing people set free that thought that they would never find freedom again, to see people know who they are, waking up to the reality Mm -hmm. of who they are, their design to see people find their tribe and know that everybody belongs. Everybody has a place they belong. That's the story of the gospel is a father saying, listen, there's a place you belong. Why don't you come to the table? And people seeing that Jesus is the way to that. And then people finding their vision and their purpose in life to plunder the darkness around them and to empower others to plunder their darkness. That is Awesome. I can't wait for the full release of this 21-day devotional. Tell us just real quick, what does the other side look like? You mentioned it briefly, but what does the other side of things, what does it feel like? What does it look like? Yeah, this is a question I get a lot. And I I know that some people find comfort in absolutes. Some people find comfort in an absolute that there won't be any more pain. What I would say this is there are absolutes, but the absolutes aren't that you'd never experience darkness again. The Mm -hmm. absolutes are that in the midst of darkness, there is a growing certainty that God is there with you. There is a growing certainty in your faith, in him and his ability to carry you through anything. So you're not certain that you'll never experience tragedy again. That actually is a false certainty. And anybody who promises that if you follow them, 
You'll never experience heartache again. Please distance yourself as quickly as possible. Or anybody who says, listen, if you do step one, step two, step three, life's going to work for you. Please, that's nonsense. We've got to see leaders willing to lead from a place of brokenness. And more than anything, what this has done is introduced me to myself in the places that I'm thinking, God, if your mercy doesn't show up, nothing's going to change. And you know what? His mercy keeps showing up. God, if your grace doesn't show up, I'm not going to be able to lead. And you know what? His grace keeps showing up. God, if your joy does not invade my life right now, I'm going to forget who I am. And then his joy invades and doing that in community. So it looks on the other side, it looks like Jacob to Israel. It looks like Jacob, the father who tried to do everything right and kept deceiving to Israel, the father who walked with a limp the rest of his life that knew how to raise a different type of son. That's what it looks like. And right now we need fathers and mothers that aren't, we don't need perfect fathers and mothers. We need real fathers and mothers that can yield to the power of the gospel and walk it out imperfectly, but walk it out really in real relationships. And that's what's on the other side of this. That's, that is awesome. And for those who are listening, what else is in your 21 day devotional? Is there, it, how do you break it? How does it look? What, how does it break out the, the devotional? Yeah. Every day is a different part of the scripture of the story. So there's several days that are about the woman in the well, and then it goes into several days about Joseph, the dreamer. And at the bottom is a simple question that then you're to journal about with God. And so this actually will take you into the story. And I can guarantee you that you're going to see things in the scripture that I don't even talk about. You'll see something in the story that I'm not even talking about. The purpose of this journal is not to tell you what to think. It's to invite you into a different way of thinking, how to think thinking with God, praying with God, doing the journey with God and doing the journey with community, which is why we do master classes on this subject so that people can have a community to go through it together with. Awesome. And will you pray for us as we are, you know, for those listening, will you just release just the ability to plunder darkness in our lives? It would start now. Yeah. Oh man. Yes. I would love that. I would love that. So, Father, I thank you that you are the God of all hope. The first time, Lord, that you are called the God who heals is when you turned the bitter water to sweet. You took something that was bitter and you turned it to sweet. You, did, you didn't take something that was neutral, God. You took something that was bitter and turned it to sweet. You are a master at healing, turning bitter to sweet. So I thank you for giving people, even right now that are listening, the hope to believe that their darkness could actually turn from bitter to sweet. God, that not, not just that they will have survived their darkness, but even for those that have survived through tremendous darkness and feel like they're finally alive again, show them the treasure that's in that darkness. They thought they survived when really you're, you're showing them how much they're about to thrive. I pray that there would be a grace in each individual listening to engage with you in a way that they've never engaged in years, to remind them of who they are, and that there would be a company, a tribe, a real group of people that they could build a relationship with and discover their purpose for living. In the name of Jesus above every other name, 
Amen. 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 So everyone, are you ready to survive the black hole and turn it to your favor? <laughs> Thank you, Craig, today. Thank you so much for sharing with us from your heart. And also everyone, if you felt empowered by today's episode, subscribe and join our tribe. To find out more about our masterclasses, e-courses, and live events, you can also find us on craigmuster.com. And please leave us a comment below and tell others about The Craig Muster Show. Mm -hmm.